Thank you, Chris. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. I encourage you to keep uh, your Bible open to Colossians 1 for the text of the message this morning. We'll simply uh, follow the content of Colossians 1, 9 through 12, which we uh, have read. Paul was a missionary evangelist of phenomenal success. It is a fair statement, one corroborated by serious students of Western civilization, regardless of their opinion of uh, Paul uh, and his theology that uh, the former Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle of the early church, is as influential as any figure in the history of Western civilization. But beneath uh, his tremendous abilities, his administrative skills, his persistence, his determination, was the heart of a pastor. In the face of tremendous obstacles and opposition, he kept on, and he kept on keeping on. One of the things that is remarkable about him to me is that when we read uh, various of his letters, particularly uh, the so-called prison epistles that he wrote from uh, the confines of custody of Roman soldiers, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, though his future was very much in doubt, and indeed the most reliable uh, history of the ancient church tells us that he did die at the hands of Rome because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though God had essentially told him that he would give his life for his faith, when he wrote to those churches in Asia, including this church at Colossae, his focus was not on his immediate future. It was on their welfare. And if you would understand Paul, and I think in a very real way understand anyone who genuinely has what uh, has been called a pastor's heart, you would have to understand that one of the most uh, driving motivations behind that characteristic is the desire to see you win. You know, I'm often amused and have been over a lot of years now at the way people can react when they uh, find out that uh, I'm a minister or when uh, someone who doesn't know you're there finds out you're there based on something they may have said or done. But you know, that really doesn't matter. I don't keep a file, even a mental file, on that kind of stuff. At, at a very important level, I really don't care what you do. I don't have a checklist. I don't value you based on your decorum and your demeanor when I'm around. By the Lord's grace, when I walk with Him, I look at you the way He looks at me. And that is through eyes of love, because of His grace, He has done so much for me, it is not in me not to want you to win. 
That comes across very clearly in Colossians from Paul and in this passage. And surely one of the keys to maintaining that perspective is the prayer life. His prayer life really comes to the forefront in these prison epistles. For during the time of his confinement, Paul obviously recognized finally that that was all that he could do, but then in realizing that, he began to realize all the more how much power there was in prayer. Prayer is not a delusion. It is not a uh, superstition. It is not a psychological exercise. It is not therapy to help us get through what we are facing. Prayer is getting hold of God, but more importantly, allowing Him to get hold of us. Much of Paul's time was spent in this pursuit. And his prayers are very, very touching and very beautiful. He was consumed by the desire that each of the Christians in the churches that he loved understood their position in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they take possession of all that belonged to him, to them as his children. He wants them to remember that they represent in the eyes of the world the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized his task not as trying to meet the expectations of people and make them happy, but as in every way he could leading them to make God happy. Leading them to please God. Now in these verses that are before us this morning, Colossians 1, 9 through 12, here are some of the things that a pastor prays for. I refer you also to Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, and Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. We will not look at those passages this morning, but they are similar. And as Paul wrote these epistles especially, he would come to a place where he was trying so uh, hard to convey to them what they needed. And his pen would continue to write as he prayed for them. And we have his prayers. So in these verses, here is one pastor's prayer. In verse 9... Paul prayed for them that they might receive knowledge of God. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Someone has written that prayer makes two great requests. First, to be able to discern the will of God. Secondly, to receive the power to perform it. Paul says, since we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. 
Now, the language, the meaning of the word, the use of the verb, does not indicate that day and night, 24 hours a day, awake or asleep, he prays for them. What it does mean is that regularly, habitually, daily, they are in his thoughts, they are in his prayers, and he has a lifestyle and a habit, not of continual, but of daily, regular, habitual prayer for them. He wants to know for them to know the fullness of the will of God. He wants them to know all of it. And though we will not go far in developing uh, the concept of the will of God in this message, let me simply say that God's will is not like the quest for the Holy Grail, that we pursue to distant places and an exotic opportunity until we find it hidden away and guarded and we finally at last have attained it. Rather, it is the will of God that today, as best you know how, you walk in fellowship with Him. That is His will. Sometimes it is singularly understanding, uh, under, uh, it is singularly unfulfilling to say, if you'll just walk with the Lord, when the time comes, you will know what to do. I used to hear that at various times so often that I wanted to throw up. But it's true. The Lord does not often move according to our timetable, but He does move. And if you will walk with Him when it is time, you will know what to do. Paul prays that they would have knowledge of his will. Paul had come to the place in his life where he was governed only by the Lord Jesus. He was daring, in some ways reckless, but always he was reckless in his abandon of his own concerns in the interest of following faithfully the Lord. He wanted them to know every detail, not something speculative, but he wanted them to know God's will in a way that it would produce right living and fruitful service to the Lord. The word knowledge in verse 9 uh, very well could be a, a play on words. Paul was combating in this book of Colossians, as he wrote about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is combating a heresy. He does not name it, he does not specify it, but certainly one of the characteristics of that heresy was that the false teachers who were affecting the churches in Asia believed they had some kind of unique knowledge. In a later generation, they became uh, known as Gnostics, the knowers. And the word here is the word gnosis, but it is gnosis with a prefix. It is epinosis. It means super knowledge, overflowing knowledge, knowledge that is full and complete. And it could be that he was saying they claim to have knowledge. You, yourself, can have super abundant knowledge as you walk with the Lord, knowledge of His will. 
The Lord certainly does lead us individually. But no one of us is a free agent theologically. The Lord has told us very plainly in His Word that everything He tells an individual and everything He genuinely leads someone to do will be in perfect accord with His will as it is revealed in His Word. Though heresy uh, has many heads, like the Medusa, one thing that heresy always has in common with itself is that it contains some theoretical knowledge, some claim to a revelation that is outside of and contradictory to the Bible. It didn't come from God. God dwells above time. His Word tells us that it is complete, that it is a perfect treasure. The Lord Jesus told us that He has revealed to us everything the Father revealed to Him. There is no new revelation independent of God's Word. Therefore, one way that you may always judge what you believe God is leading you to do is by comparing it to His Word. For His revelation to you will always fit in to His overall plan as revealed in the Bible. Revealed in His Word and open to all who will walk with Him is the knowledge of God. I love the verse of Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Talking about the Word of God. We have the prophetic word, verse 19, 2 Peter 1, pardon me. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arising, arises in your heart. This world is a place of darkness. The light, the light, not a light, the light in this world of darkness is the Word of God. We do well to pay heed to it as unto a lamp shining in a dark place. Paul is saying to the Colossians that their high state of spiritual attainment will bring with it risk, for the enemy will bring his power against those who walk with the Lord. If we are to know him and his will, it will be because he gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding. The pastor's prayer includes a prayer that you would know, that you would have knowledge of God. In verse 10, the pastor's prayer includes the worthy walk, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I heard it said so long ago, I don't know who to give credit to, 
that the Christian life is not a way of doing certain things. It is a certain way of doing everything. The worthy walk. Now the term walk is, a, a, we would say, lifestyle, manner of living, the way that day by day we live our lives. And God's purpose in our knowing Him is that we be what He wants us to be and that we do what He wants us to do. To do anything to meet and to anticipate His wishes is not only a beneficial thing to us, but it is the most absolutely right thing we can possibly do. Paul united. He tied together doctrine and duty, knowing and doing. Right action results from right thinking, and right thinking will accompany right conduct. We are to please Him in all respects, not please ourselves. We are to anticipate His wishes. He reveals Himself to us in order that we may glorify Him. You get to know the Lord as you walk with Him and as you obey Him. Everett Harrison said, the way to extend your knowledge of God is to seek and please Him by working out in your life what is revealed to you as His will. We are to please Him in all respects, that is, in every way. Now the word worthy sounds like the word worth. And indeed, that is what it means. It really means as heavy as. And the picture is that Paul prays for them that their way of living, when balanced on the scales, would be worth as much as what the Lord had done for them. That's a tall order. That we would walk worthy of Him. That our walk would be as valuable as what He has done for us. And yet that is our goal. It is the goal that the Scripture sets before us. We are to be like Him. The Scripture says the same thing sometimes in many different ways. Paul says fruitlessness is deadness. In the epistle of James, he said, faith without works is dead. In other words, it's not real. The Lord Jesus Christ said, by their fruits you shall know them. The fruit of the Christian is first. By abiding in Him to grow in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that we bear the fruit of new believers as the Lord touches the lives of others through us and they come to faith in Him. 
The worthy walk is simply putting into practice what we know we ought to do. In verse 11, Paul prays that they would have power for endurance. He says, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. The word might is the familiar word dunamis. It means uh, strength. In this context, it means strength of character, strength of conviction, strength of action through the abiding presence in our lives of the Lord Jesus Christ. In reality, we are limited only by His power. And we are to employ His power by enduring the things that life brings to us as Christ did. We are to be upright. We are to be clean. We are to be Christ-like and winsome in the face of temptation. He talks about steadfastness. It is an uncompromising, steadfast patience. It is a triumphant enduring of whatever comes. The word for patience is a very interesting word in the Greek. It is a word that means bearing with others no matter what. William Barclay discusses that word this way. This word is usually translated as long-suffering. Its basic meaning is patience with people. It is the quality of mind and heart that enables an individual to so bear with people that their unpleasantness, maliciousness, or cruelty will never create bitterness. That their unteachableness or their foolishness will never drive to despair. That their folly will never drive to irritation. That their unloveliness will never alter His love. It is the spirit that does not ever lose patience with, belief in, and hope for other people. That likewise is a tall order. And as I did at the outset, I suggest to you that if you will pause regularly and reflect on how great the patience of God is to you, it will make it far easier to maintain patience with other people. They are to not be cynical or despairing, but drawing on Him. They are to steadfastly endure whatever life brings and the pastor's prayer includes power for endurance. In verse 12, he thinks not only of their present, but anticipating their future. He prays relative to their inheritance, the kingdom of light, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. 
in light. Actually, the last word of verse 11 goes with verse 12. You know, somebody in a monastery about a thousand years ago divided the Bible into chapter and verse, and uh, this just one place he messed up slightly. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Joyously. Paul said elsewhere, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Joyfulness and thanksgiving go together. Because the Lord never gives up on any of us, and because our ultimate end depends not on our power, but on His faithfulness, we can joyously thank God for the future. It is a good thing that our fate does not depend on our ability to keep the promises that we make to God. When Paul is talking in the latter part of the book of Romans about our attitude toward each other in the church, he asks a rather harsh question. He asks it rather angrily. I believe it's in verse 14. Talking apparently about some in the church attacking others, he says, how dare you attack the servant of another. For unto his master he will either stand or he will fall. But then he goes on to say, and he will stand for he, the Lord, is able to make him stand. Let me say it one more time. If you're looking for a perfect church, please don't join this one. But if you ever find it, please don't join it. You'll spoil it. Whether or not any one of us, any group of us, or all of us, or everything we ought to be is never the issue. Because no one is. That does not mean that sin is okay. It is not. It does mean the Lord hasn't appointed you to the discipline committee or me. The Lord can handle those things Himself. And in teaching us the law of the harvest, the Word of God would indicate that we really would do well for ourselves if we would deal with other people with the same kind of mercy we would like for God to deal with us. Because of His faithfulness, we can give thanks. He has allowed us to inherit the kingdom of light, which is the subject of the next four verses that we'll look at next Sunday morning. We do not deserve it. Wherever He is, there is light Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Heaven would not be heaven to the lost, for it is contrary to their nature. And once there, 
we will genuinely know the fullness of knowledge and purity and joy. H.C.G. Moore makes this observation about our inheritance. Nothing but the gospel can open the secret of a joy perfectly real that under suffering and sorrows without the least tendency to harshness can bear us up. The fullness of divine power in the saints is to result primarily not in doing some great thing, but in bearing with one another with joyfulness of heart. What a prayer. What a blessed truth. He supplies all that we need to overcome everything that we face. What room does that leave for despair? His might, Paul says, is the limit of the power available to meet our needs. I saw a plaque years ago on a wall. I wrote down the words. It said, May the omnipotence of God be the measure of our expectations. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your omnipotence, for the fact that all power resides in you. Father, not one day of my life passes that I do not underestimate, undervalue your ability to do what needs to be done. Please forgive me. Please give us eyes of faith so that we might see the things which have no substance, that we might have evidence within ourselves of the things that we cannot touch so that our lives worthy of your expectations would bear witness to the world that there is a God in heaven who dwells in a people on earth. Father, you know our hearts and our needs. I pray that you would draw us to yourself this morning with open arms, not as those coming seeking to avoid punishment, but as children running into the arms of a loving parent. Father, your grace is sufficient to forgive us, to cleanse us, to set our feet on a rock, to meet every need. I pray that that grace would be operative in every heart at this moment. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we will sing a hymn of invitation during a time of commitment. We will sing hymn 409, When We Walk with the Lord, if you need the book. I invite you publicly to take your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation is not primarily the invitation of this church as an organization. It is first and most our privilege to extend His invitation for you to come and find life 
in Jesus Christ to find forgiveness, to find comfort, to find power, to find new life in Him. I invite you to meet me here at the front if that would be your commitment today. I invite you to join this congregation. If you live here, the Lord wants you to be active in a local church. Seek His place of service. But when you have found it, do not delay, whether it is here or somewhere else. I invite you this morning, if it is here, to join this congregation. We'll talk to you about the ways that we receive folks. You just come if that's your commitment. If you would come to kneel and pray in commitment of your life to allow Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Master, to control you day by day, Whatever He would have you do, whether it is public or private, do it right now.